All right, you can have a seat. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? We're going to get to the sermon. We, uh, it's crazy. I can't believe it. I'm, I'm not even sure what to do with myself because for the last 11 months, we've been studying the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. And today, for, for December, we're going to study this new series on Advent. And so uh, if you have a Bible, just have it ready because we're going to be jumping all over the place today. But we're going to be, we're starting this four-week series on Advent. How many of you celebrate, how many of you know what Advent means? Raise your hand if you know what Advent means. How many of you, how many of you celebrate, went to a church, grew up in a church that celebrated Advent kind of formally? Anybody grew up in a church like that? I did not. I did not. So this is new. Probably a lot of us haven't. Advent is one of those things. If you grew up in a little bit, maybe a little bit more of a traditional church, maybe you're like, cool, this is like, this is great. Maybe you, you had like an Advent wreath where you had can- different candles for the wreath. Some of you maybe had like an Advent calendar. Anybody? Advent calendar, anybody? We, we did this when our kids were little. We had an Advent calendar, and it was one of those, like you had, I don't know how many, 24 probably, you had little, little cubby holes, and we hung it up in our kitchen, and every day, is this, is this just me? Is this, yeah, is this, okay, good. So you're like, because some of you are looking at me weird. I'm not sure what that's about. Is my zipper down? What's going on here? So, and we would open the little cubby hole every, every day. We'd get up and we'd open the little cubby hole and, you know, you pull out a camel one day and a wise man the next day and, and all the way to the last day, which I think was Santa Claus. No, baby Jesus. That's right. <laughs> baby Jesus. Jeez, you need to lighten up, everybody. <laughs> that was a good joke. I thought that was a really good joke. Some of you thought I was, t- I was being serious there. So Advent calendars were fun. So we just want to encourage you during this, during this series, if families, if you've got kids, like jump online, get an advent calendar. Do the advent count, calendar as, <coughs> as we do this series together or get a wreath or get, get some candles, whatever you want to do. But what we'll be doing here at church for the next four weeks, so today we're going to study these four, the four advent calendars. The first one represents hope. So today we're going to talk about hope. The second advent calendar, anybody? Second advent calendar represents peace. And so we're going to do that next week. The third advent calendar, sorry, advent candle, that's what I meant, candle, represents joy. Good. Some of you know it. And then the last one on Christmas represents love. And so we're going to be doing that. We're going to go hope, peace, joy, love. And so today we're starting with hope. And I want to, I want to just start with this verse from Proverbs. It's not really a Christmas verse, but it relates to hope. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred means that you're putting off, you're postponing hope. Hope deferred means, man, you really hope for something, but it still hasn't come. You're really hoping that this thing would happen, but it hasn't yet happened. Hope is a Christmassy word. Kids, what are you hoping for for Christmas? This is a good question for your, for your car ride home, like what are you hoping for for Christmas? And you know, when you're little, Christmas is so magical because, because you're, you've got all these presents under the tree, but you can't open them yet. Our kids would always, like, shake them, and they would, like, try to figure out what's in there, or we would hide. The bigger ones, we'd hide. We'd do, we'd do something called a present hawk. This is a great tip for you, by the way, if, if any of you need to know, like, what do you do with those big gifts that you don't really, you can't really wrap? And so we, what we do is we have a little, just a little card 
that we put under the tree and it says, you know, ask the present hawk to go get your present. And then we would fly away to the garage (laughs) and we would get the present and we'd bring back the big present, right, in the car. And I remember my, (coughs) our daughter, when she was in high school, we, uh, we got her a car for Christmas. Now I know, don't, don't, you're like, oh, you're one of those people. No, trust me. We found a car toward the end of the year. We knew that she was going to need one eventually once she turned 16. She had no idea that this was on the horizon. And this, we were going to have to get her one anyway. So this is the cheap dad saying, let's make it a Christmas present. That's all that was, okay? So it was out in the driveway, and we did the present hawk for her. We said, go ask, your, ask the present hawk to get your present. And she's like, okay, present hawk. And so we took her out. To, we actually... We actually recorded this. It's a video, and it blew up on YouTube because we're walking out, following her down the steps out the front door, and AJ, her little brother, says, it's a car. He had no idea. (laughs) He didn't know it was actually a car, and he was saying that, and she's like, no, it's not, and we turn the corner, and there this old beater car is, but it didn't matter. (laughs) And, uh, and she, I mean, the expression on her face was hilarious, and all the, the YouTube comments were pretty funny because they're saying that the little brother was a moron. Um, <laughs> we loved it. So I don't know what your favorite present, so all you old people like me, like what was that present, this is a good thing to share with your kids, what was that big present, what was that big present for you that you remember as a kid? And I brought mine today. This is not just a Stranger Things thing. (laughs) This for real was my 10-year-old birthday present, a Schwinn bike. You could see that as I got older, I tried to make it cooler, I guess. This was my present, and I remember when we got the Schwinn bike, we thought my dad had won the lottery. We're like, that had to be a million dollars. And this was the bike that my, bro- my brother and my, both of my brothers and I, we all got this. And as you can tell, I'm over 50 years old and I still have this bike. Like this was the one I hoped for. I don't know what your gift was when you were a kid. I don't know what your present was that you really looked forward to. But this was one of the big ones for me. As we get older, though, it's not so much about presents, is it? Like hope deferred isn't so much about presents. I remember when we used to buy for my dad what do you want for Christmas, Dad? He's like, I can get whatever I want. I actually have money. He would always taunt us with that. I actually have money, so I can buy myself anything I want. And now I'm that guy. Now that the kids say, what do you want for, I don't really need anything. Just come home for Christmas, you know, that sort of thing. But, you know, for a lot of us, when we think about hope deferred, we, as we, the older we get, the more it's about, the more it is about not materialistic things, but like meaningful things, like relationships, right, that, you know, maybe an estranged family member, a son or a daughter, someone, someone for some of you parents, maybe kids who have wandered away from the Lord, that's the, you don't care about Schwins, you don't care about bikes, you don't care about presents or present hawks, you care about people. Some of you maybe hope deferred when you think about this verse, you think about like, like an illness, you're praying, you're struggling because you've got an illness and you're praying for answers. Some of you, maybe your you're hope deferred, this, the heart sick feeling that you have has to do with kids or not being able to have kids. All these things tend to get so much more serious when you, when you think about it, but, but actually, 
when I look at the news anymore, I'm thinking, man, we have it so good, don't we? When you look at what's going on, I mean, could you imagine just the roller coaster for this, in this last week for those Israelis who, who are hoping to have their hostages brought home and, and the, you know, they're releasing a few every day and is your, is your grandma or is your dad or is your brother or cousin going to be on the list? I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine how heartsick some of those families were and still are. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. And this whole concept of hope for the Jewish people has actually always been a thing. It's always been a thing. As we, re, as we open our Bibles to the Old Testament, we're going to look today at just three verses. We could, we could spend the whole day talking about scripture verses, prophetic verses from the Old Testament about hope and what that meant for the people of Israel. You know, the Old Testament is, is, the, is the sacred scripture of the people of Israel. And it is for us as well, but we have the New Testament to explain it. But in the Old Testament, we have all these prophecies about this future Messiah. Whenever, they, whenever you think about hope for the Jewish people, it was always connected to this future Messiah. Messiah means savior or rescuer. And one of those passages in, is in Isaiah 7, verse 14. And you've probably heard this at Christmas time, and we're going to explain this today. All right then, Isaiah the prophet wrote, the Lord himself will give you a sign, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she'll give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we're going to be singing some Christmas songs this month, and we're going to no doubt have this word in some of those songs. I want to explain what this word is. This is the first time it shows up in scripture, Emmanuel, God with us. But actually, if you go back and read Isaiah 7, this whole passage was written in a specific time to a specific people with a specific purpose in mind. If you were here last week where we were talking about prophecies, prophecies a lot of, time, a lot of times have, a, have an immediate fulfillment in the day that it was written, which is about 800 years before Christ was born, and then it has a future fulfillment, and the same is true for this prophecy. So at the time, Isaiah is a prophet to the people of Judah, and, and the, the king of Judah at the time, King Ahaz, was, was afraid because Syria and Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, had made a pact and they were going to come and invade Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. And so Ahaz was, was afraid and Ahaz was, was actually starting to look to some other nations for help, thinking that these other nations might hedge, help them hedge their bets against these invaders from the north. And it was in the context of this that Isaiah speaks this prophecy to King Ahaz. And the sign was actually all about God rescuing Ahaz and not some other king rescuing Ahaz. This whole thing originally was about, was about a rescuer for sure. But, but what, what Isaiah was saying, a lot of commentators actually believe that there was a woman in the royal household, because virgin is translated either virgin or young woman. And originally... In the time that this was first written, as Isaiah first spoke it, what he's probably thinking and what could very well may have happened is that there was going to be a woman in the royal household who got pregnant in this time and she would name this child Emmanuel and this woman getting pregnant in the household would be a sign that God was going to deliver the people of Judah from the invaders. And that's exactly what happened. The invaders came and God, within just a couple of years of this, God rescued 
Judah and King Ahaz. And this was the original context for this. But see, now, as Christians, today we look at this, and because we see that this is in Scripture as well, we zoom out and we realize that this didn't just have an immediate fulfillment in the time of Ahaz, this rescuer, this Messiah for the people in his day, but it's actually a fulfillment today or 2,000 years ago when Jesus came, that this whole God with us statement was literal, not just figurative. I mean, in Isaiah's day, it's like, God is with us. But when Jesus showed up, he's God. And he came on the scene, and he really was the one who was going to rescue. Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, it says, All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through this prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the, the New Testament writer, Matthew, the gospel writer, he starts off his whole gospel of Matthew which, with this genealogy, this record of the ancestors and this descendant, and he, and he explains that Jesus was going to come from this line and that by the end of Matthew chapter 1, he's explaining that he is, Jesus is God with us, that he is the rescuer. So we see that as, as we open up this first prophetic fulfillment, Isaiah chapter 7. But then just a couple chapters later, we get a little bit more context for this, for this Isaiah prophecy, Isaiah chapter 9. Again, probably this will sound familiar to you if you've been around church at Christmas time, then you've heard a lot of these verses before. It says, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. By the way, isn't it interesting that it's talking about the river, from the river to the sea here? I don't know if you've heard that in the last couple of weeks, this, this cry of people saying they want, the Palestinians want freedom from the river to the sea. They're talking about the Jordan River to the sea, the Mediterranean. And it's interesting, it says it right here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, that, that there's going to be this prophecy. And this prophecy, by the way, Isaiah 9, is, is tied back into Isaiah 7. It's about this Emmanuel, God with us. This virgin would give birth, and, and this child would come into the world, which, of course, Mary was a virgin. This teenage girl is conceived by the, God himself is conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary, or Jesus himself was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary. And so all these prophecies start to get fulfilled, but as we, learn, as we turn to Isaiah 9-1, we see that this prophecy is talking about like darkness and despair and, and, and oppression in the land, but there's going to be this time when this whole area is going to be filled with glory. Have you ever noticed that it says there'll be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles? Galilee of the Gentiles? Since when did we start talking about Gentiles? Wait, I thought... I thought the Messiah was a Jewish thing. I thought the Messiah, this, this hope of the world, this, this, or this hope of, of the nation was all about this nationalistic fervor, this nationalistic figure. This, in fact, they thought that it was going to be a king. They thought that this Messiah would be a king like, like David was a king. They thought he was going to be a warrior like David was a warrior. And they thought it was all about Israel. But we see in this prophecy that actually the Messiah, the true Messiah, is about not just Israel, but it's about the Gentiles, that, that this Messiah would come to Galilee of the Gentiles. And then it goes on in verse 2. It says, the people who walk in darkness 
will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. By the way, that's why we do lights. Did you wonder why we do lights at Christmas? Maybe you didn't know that's why we do lights at Christmas, but it is. I hate, light, I hate putting up lights at Christmas. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, it's one of those things. I, I think it's kind of a conspiracy a little bit. I feel like, I mean, husbands, doesn't it seem a little bit weird that when there's ice out there on the driveway, your wife is like, hey, would you get out that 17-foot ladder and hang some lights on? I just, anyway, it's just a little suspect to me, but whatever. But the reason we do it, wives, now you can say why. Jesus wants you to hang lights <laughs> on our house. That's why we do it. So every time you see lights, as you drive around, as you see lights, remember this verse. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Of course, as we turn to the Gospel of John, we see how all of this stuff now connects to Jesus. The word Talking about Jesus, the word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Isn't it interesting, though? It says that, that he brought light to everyone. He didn't just bring light to the Jewish people. The Messiah, it turns out Messiah, and, and again, I don't think Isaiah understood, honestly, I don't think he understood any of this. As Isaiah is writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as Isaiah is writing these words about this virgin will conceive and give birth to a child. His name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in the, the, in the land, in Galilee of the Gentiles, that, that this light will come. And, and now here we go, we have light for everyone. I, I don't think Isaiah had any clue what he was really talking about. This was a prophecy that he wasn't, I don't think he was fully aware of what he was prophesying about. But he was talking about Jesus who would come and offer hope to everyone. He would be a rescuer for everyone, not just for the Jewish people. Is anyone thankful for that, by the way? Because I don't know about, I'm not, I don't know how many, maybe some of you are Jewish. I am not at all. I'm, I, I'm as Irish as they come. I got a little German mixed in there, but I'm not Jewish at all. And I, I'm so grateful that God brought light for me as well. I'm so grateful that Jesus came into the world so that I could experience that light and not continue to live in darkness. This is the hope of the Messiah. And then, of course, a little bit further in Isaiah 9, verse 6. This one you probably recognize from Handel's Messiah. It says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. Again, still referring back to that Emmanuel. Still referring back to that Isaiah 7, 14 prophecy. This child is, is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, probably a reference to the, to the shawl that a, that a prince would have, that a, that a, a, like a mantle that they would wear to show their authority. The government will rest on his shoulders and he'll be called. And then we have this, this four-way moniker. And sometimes in, in the culture back then, when a new king was anointed, when a new king took power, they would give that king names. They would give that new ruler, all these names. And I think that's what Isaiah is doing here for this, this child who's born to us. And here's what he's called, Wonderful Counselor. A couple of things about that. First of all, isn't it true that, that for a good nation to survive, you need good counselor? You need good wisdom? So that, to me, this is, this is speaking to the word that, that Jesus is the word, that Jesus is 
wisdom that Jesus knows the truth in the way he said it while he walked the earth. He says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But actually, this, the word here for wonderful counselor, it's, it's actually a noun, it's not an adjective. In the original Hebrew, it's a, it's a noun. So it literally means he's gonna be a wonder. And we just spent 11 months studying that, the wonder that Jesus is. He's a wonder. And then mighty God, that, that term for mighty God in the original language talks about the fact that he's a warrior, that he's a strong warrior. And again, as Isaiah is writing these words, I don't think he, I don't think he realizes that this would be literal, that Jesus is, that the Messiah, Jesus, is literally God in the flesh. He's fully God, and yet he took on flesh. He took on the incarnation, and he lived among us, but he is Mighty God, I don't think Isaiah could even begin to understand what that meant. This next one's probably a little confusing for some of us. You're like, wait a second, aren't we talking about Jesus? Why is he called Everlasting Father? Well, actually, the, the Jewish, the Hebrew concept of father is author. So really, really a better translation of this would be author of time. And isn't that true? Jesus, God, Jesus is God. He's the author of time. He's the possessor of eternity. That's really what this is talking about. Again, Isaiah didn't understand this. He's writing this, led by the Holy Spirit to write this prophecy out. And he doesn't even fully understand the the power and the beauty and the accuracy of his words. But Jesus is the author of time. He spoke the world into existence. And then that last one, Prince of Peace, we're going to save that. You'll have to come back next week because we're going to talk about peace next week. So we're going to leave you on a cliffhanger for that one. So we looked at Isaiah 7. We looked at Isaiah 9. And I've just got one more prophecy from the Old Testament that I want to leave you with as it relates to hope. And actually, we're going to go backwards. We're going to go to the very first prophecy in the Bible about Jesus. I don't know if you know where that is but I'm going to show it to you right now. Genesis 3, verse 15. This is called the Proto-Evangelion. Everyone say that. Proto-Evangelion. I give you opportunities to say smart words like this to make you feel good about yourself. It literally, proto means first. Evangelion means gospel. It literally means the first gospel. This is the first mention of the gospel in the whole Bible. Genesis 3, 15. It says, this is after Adam and Eve fell. This is after, it was Eve's fault. This was after (laughs) they sinned. It was after they sinned, and they fell, fell, and now now sin entered the world. And here's here's what God is saying to the serpent. This is what God is saying to the serpent, to Satan. He says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his seal. I want to break this down for you just real quick. Here's what what he's talking about here, hostility. I will cause hostility between you and the woman. He's talking about spiritual warfare. He's talking about 
your sin nature. He's talking about every time you want to do right and you end up doing wrong. That's what's happening right here. Hostility between humans and Satan. This is the epic battle between good and evil. This is what he's saying. is Because sin entered the world, there is going to be this battle that is going to continue to wage on even to today, and we're always going to be fighting. We're always going to be fighting. Not just sin out there, not just, not just the, the spiritual warfare in the world that we experience, but also sin in here, because we're all tainted by this. We're all broken because of this. This, this disease that Adam and Eve brought into the world affects and infects every one of us. And so that hostility is the problem. The problem is this hostility. We have this, we have this war that is raging. And he says, it's going to be between your offspring and her offspring. Maybe he's talking to Satan. So it's between your offspring and her offspring. Actually, when it says her offspring, it's talking about the child. Now, I know in general you're saying, well, it's talking about all of us, right? Don't we all wage the war? Well, we do. But actually, this Proto-Evangelion, this first mention of the gospel, it's talking about a specific child. It's talking about a specific person who's going to come through the chosen line of Israel. If you've ever heard that Israel are God's chosen people, it's true, they're God's chosen people. But they're chosen, their primary thing that they're chosen for is to bring the offspring into the world. And this is what's being talked about in Genesis 3.15. And then we can begin to trace it a little bit in Genesis, Genesis 12, 3, he's, God is speaking to Abraham about that offspring, the promise from Genesis 3, 15. He says, I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who treat you with contempt and all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Another translation says, through your offspring, through your child, your one child. There's going to be a child, Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 and 6, Genesis 12, 3, it's talking all about the same child. And then as we fast forward to the end of, of Genesis, Genesis 49, as, as these blessings, as, you know, Jacob is giving these blessings to his sons, and he comes down, and he comes to Judah, and he says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. This is exactly what Isaiah was saying in Isaiah 9. He didn't know that. I don't think Isaiah had Genesis 49.10 in mind at all as he was saying that stuff about the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. I don't think he was connecting the dots. But this is exactly what God is doing. God is talking about this, this offspring from Genesis 3.15, from the first mention of the gospel, this offspring, this child, the Messiah, who would come. This is the Messiah. So that offspring is going to battle with the enemy, with Satan, and here's what he does. God said this, remember, God said this to Satan. He said, he's going to strike your head and you will strike his heel. I want to start with the heel one. Do you know what he's referencing there? that Satan will strike Jesus' heel? He's referencing the cross. That Satan, would, that Satan thought that he'd won, he struck at the heel like a snake would strike at the heel, but then a, 
a regular human being, if you're not too afraid of a snake, by the way. Some of you might be, but just, you know, just step on its head. You're bigger than that snake. Step on its head. And so Satan thought that he'd won when Jesus went to the cross. He struck at the heel of that offspring of the Messiah. But Jesus struck his head. Or as it says in another place, Jesus crushed his head. And I, love, I want to I end with this, this great Christmas verse, Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I, this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I love the, just the contrast. It's like Paul is writing this, but I really think he has the proto-evangelion in mind. I think he has Genesis 3.15 in mind. He just, this is the last chapter in Romans, he had just explained the gospel. He had just explained with specificity the gospel that Jesus came into the world, he was born in the world, it turns out the Messiah was God himself. That the Messiah was God himself, he lived a perfect sinless life, he went to the cross, he died on the cross, and Satan thought he won because he struck his heel. But Jesus won because Jesus rose from the dead three days later, and he crushed Satan's head. And I love at the, at the end of this whole letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome, he's, I just love this, he's just like, oh, may the God of peace, I mean, can't you just hear this? May the God of peace crush Satan under your feet. This is what God did through Jesus. He, this is what we celebrate at Christmas. This is the hope that we have. Again, maybe for you, you're like, but what about those other things? Not, not the bikes, but the real things. The relationships, the, the health struggle, all, all, this, all the darkness, right? All the darkness that comes into our world. And the older we get, the more we hope for light instead of darkness. And I, and I don't have an easy answer to that. I really don't. I, this, this Advent season, I don't have an easy answer to the, to the real darkness that can come into our lives on a regular basis through relationship and illness and what have you. But I do know this, that we can zoom out this time of year and all the time, we can zoom out and say, wait a second, wait, we know the end of the story. Like the thing that really matters, Jesus took care of. I, the, the hope that we have, I hope that you understand that today if you're a follower of Jesus. I know it can burden you and it can weigh heavy on you, some of those other things that, you know, that where your heart is sick for that stuff. I get that. We have that too, Tracy and I have that too on a regular basis. Just disappointments and frustrations and things that, cause anxiety and stress and anger and sadness and despair and heart sickness. But what we do know is that Jesus is the hope of the world, that Jesus, that Jesus wins at the end, that Jesus took care of the biggest problem that we could ever face, that Jesus took on sin and death and darkness, not just for Israel, he did it for all of us if we would trust in him. So trust in him because hope has come into the world. Let's pray together. God, I thank you. I thank you that you had this plan from the beginning of time, so clearly from the beginning of time as we, as we take a little survey of Genesis and Isaiah and John and Matthew and we just see, God, that you, you knew the beginning from the end, that this was your plan all along, that, that from the foundation of the world that you knew that Jesus would be the savior of it. 
And so we say thank you this Christmas season. Thank you for the hope that that means for all of us, the hope that that brings to all of us. I pray for the person who's here today that they would find ultimate hope in you. God, that they would not try to find it in, in the stuff that this, only this world can offer, but that they would find it in you. God, may, may we look to you to, to bring light into our darkness. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.